0: Um, you guys, you look even better with all the normal lights on. That or I need new glasses, one of the two. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll be first eight verses. But I'm also going to tell you, you may want to mark or tab Mark chapter 2, because we're also going to be there as well. Uh, Raise your hand if you have a friend, like a good friend. Or at least you think you have a good friend. Or if you're a good friend to somebody, put your hand down. I'm gonna tell you about this. You gotta watch out who your friends are, or who people claim to be your friends, because your friends can get you in trouble. I know this from experience. Or you might be that friend that gets your friends in trouble. Also, now I know that one from experience, but I've done way better later in my life. Um, I'm gonna tell you about this time because you know, like we, li- you know the song "You've Got a Friend in Me." What's that? Is that Toy Story? Yeah. yeah shout out to Toy Story. <laughs> Give it up for them. Still going like 20 years strong. Good job, guys. Still making money. Anyway, like, your friends can get you in a predicament. I'm going to tell you about this time. I'm not going to tell you about the time I got my friends into predicaments because those are not stories for this moment. But I'm going to tell you that one time that my friend got me in a predicament. I'm not going to name any names, but his name rhymes with Renton. (laughs) Some of you guys may know him. Some of you may not. Many years ago, Renton came to me. And Renton said, hey, my uncle has this business, which I knew sounded shady to start with. Because I've seen his uncle before. I should have believed this was going wrong. You know, everybody's got that one uncle. You're not really sure what he does, but it's shady. Should have known. And uh, he said, look, he's got this business, and he's saying that we can make at least $2,000 in one day if we'll go take care of this for him. What he wanted us to do was to roll up to a trailer, like a house trailer, take it apart, load it up on a trailer, and take it and scrap it out, and he was just going to give us the money. He had to get the trailer gone. He says, we get to split it 50-50 both ways, so in one day, Brandon, you're going to make at least between $1,000 and $1,200 dollars. I'm thinking I'm going to be rich. So I told Mo, whatever we plans we have for this whatever day of the week it is, I'm out. So I'm gonna go make some money. We're gonna take you out on a date, buy you something nice. It's gonna be awesome. I'll probably buy buy like four pairs of shoes. And if you know me, I don't do the cold very well. I like cold weather because you get to wear cool clothes, cool jackets. It's just awesome. Um, You can look at snow outside while you're in front of a fireplace. But I don't get cold. It's just one thing I don't do. It's the hardest thing about Northeast being a soccer school because I go to the games and almost die the whole time. Not because I have no clue what's going on. I'm starting to figure that out. But because I'm pretty sure my feet are just 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 frostbitten, falling off and all that good stuff. But I'm going to man the cold because for $1,200, baby, these hands can be cold. And uh, like my hand, it's so cold, like my hands are shaking, and we start taking this trailer apart. And I kid you not, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. He's like, man, it should just come apart. Man, like an hour into it, like we're ripping the siding off and all this stuff, and I look like Hercules, and he doesn't look like Hercules, so it's awesome. Um, and after hours, I mean, we're out there when it becomes daylight, and we're finished right before dark. And we we're, we loaded up and we start to pull off and our, we did not have the straps just right and it almost all fell off so we had to restrap everything down. It is quite eventful. I outworked him. The money should have went like two thirds me and one third him. But anyway, I'm good with the one thousand to twelve hundred we're gonna get. And I'm talking about all the stuff I'm gonna buy. Hey, I'm going to eat steak tonight because they're just gonna give us cash. So we get there and we're rolling up like big dogs. It is awesome. And on the screen, it tells you how much everything is and how much money you make and, or either a ticket printed out. I don't remember. But when I was expecting to get at least $1,000 to $1,200 just on my half, the dude said, your grand total is $15.38. It's the closest I ever come to killing him. It was in that very moment. And this one other time in the office, but I'm not going to bring that up. <laughs> exactly. And I looked at him with a look of, do you remember when I went Hercules on that trailer? I'm about to do it on your face. And he looked over at me, and he's like, Man, I'm so sorry. I was like, You better be. He's like, And he, then he tried to hand me a $5 bill. I'm like, That is insulting. You keep all $11.26. I'm just going home to eat Top Ramen because I'm not getting my steak tonight. He apologized about that for about two weeks. But, that, but like your friends, I wasted a whole day for $0.00. It wasn't even worth the five dollars. I'd just rather have said I'd done it for free. But sometimes your friends can get you in a predicament, but sometimes your friends can be the best thing in your life. And what we're gonna read tonight is about four this dude who had four friends who were willing to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, to get him to Jesus. And what I'm hoping is that our hearts, all of our hearts will be convicted about what kind of friend we are to the people around us, the people that we claim to love. Because I know as I was preparing this, my heart was convicted. And I'm hoping the same thing will be true for all of you guys and the adults in the room. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, first eight verses. I'm going to read them for us, and then we're going to get started. Um, So this is what it says. It says, "...and getting into a boat and crossing over, he came to his own city." And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. Think of it as like a stretcher. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think, e- Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is just awesome because he knew what they were thinking. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. And the crowd saw it, and they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you love us. God, the power in your word. God, use it to bring conviction. God, bring it to... To bring correction and change. God, let us be friends who genuinely love the people around us. God, let us be friends who genuinely do whatever it takes to get people to you. Knowing that you alone are our hope, God. That you alone are our our only chance at redemption and being made whole. So God, we are praying that you will save in this place like we do every week. We are believing that it will happen. God, let us become the church, the group that you desire us to be. So, Father, what you want to give, we receive, and we receive what you want to give. Father, we know that it is not by chance that this group is together. God, you have ordained this moment for a reason, God. We're asking that you will do something awesome that will change the world. Jesus, we are totally dependent on you, and we exalt your name in this place. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. God, give us eyes to see you ears that hear you, and hearts that are ready to believe. God, we trust you with this time, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now flip over to Mark chapter 2. The reason that we're going to Mark chapter 2, it is the same story. However, Mark uses some different details that I think will better help us navigate through this story and will leave us with a couple more things that we can hang on to before we leave. You can, you can, if you don't have a Bible, you can use your phone. If you don't have that, it will be on the screen. But this is what's happening. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Mark says this. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. You're like, but Capernaum is not his city because he was born in Bethlehem. Maybe you could say Bethlehem. Maybe you could say Nazareth. But what most Bible scholars believe is when Jesus started his ministry, he had moved to the city of Capernaum because of just how how much foot traffic, how many people would come through there. Like he's going to be able to have a lot of contact with a lot of people. Um, and the house that they believe that he is in is Peter's. It's Peter's house. Do you guys remember who Peter is? Yes, no? Peter's fairly important. If you don't know him, we'll cover that later. This is fantastic. You're going to learn a lot. Anyway, Peter is a disciple. Peter is married. They're at Peter's house. It is awesome. So it says, the people heard that he was there. And it says, many were, verse 2, it says, And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to him. The word to them, this is awesome. Like they're they're in some dude's house. Like there's 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 not a band. Um, there's not foods, there's not snacks, there's not coffee, there's not donuts, there's not air conditioning. Jesus is just standing in this dude's living room, and instead of them watching TV or listening to the radio or looking at their phones, Jesus is preaching the gospel. He's preaching, this is who I am, this is who you are, this is what I'm coming to do for you, and people are just flocking to Jesus. Yes, he, he, he is going to do a lot of miracles, but the thing is... One of the reasons I feel like the American church, our church, has lost so much power is because we do not have a desire just to hear God's word read and to be preached. Like, think about it. Just the American church in general, if you take away all of the lights, if you take away all of the bands, if you take away the cushiony chairs, the food and the coffee, how many of just you guys would show up just to hear God's word read and preached? Because I'm sure that our church would, would, would shrink quite quickly. However, that's what the early church was built upon. People loved just to hear the word of God read and preached. Because that alone, that's the only thing that can save anybody. But that is not what we're talking about tonight. That's just what's happening in verse 2. We're going to move on. Because we're starting to get to the good part. Verse 3, it says this. It says, and they came bringing him a paralytic. We don't even get this dude's name. We just get his condition. Hold on. Like I feel bad for this dude. He's no name. We just know what his issue is. So many times you can become become known more by your issue than who you actually are. His issue is that he's paralyzed and that's all we know about him. But sometimes we allow something to have so much control over our life, that's who we become known as. He's known by his disability, not who he actually is. And that, that's a terrible thing, but then, then it says he was carried by four men. We don't get their names either, but they are continuing to be talked about all throughout history. They're continuing to change people's lives, not just the dude they carry to Jesus, but us as well because of the faith that they have. <clears throat> and what I want to talk about is they are the kind of friend that you need to strive to be. Because they're willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. What kind of friend are you? Like, if you evaluate your life, if you would say that you love Jesus, how much have you done over the past month getting your friends to Jesus? How much time have you spent in praying for your friends to come to know Jesus? How many times have you invited them to be a part of what Jesus is doing at the local church? For us, that's here at Journey. The only thing that we really know about these guys is that they have an unquestionable love for their friend and an undeniable faith in Jesus. Because they love their friend to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, and they have a faith knowing it's worth going through whatever we've got to go through just to get this guy there because we know that Jesus can heal whatever is going on in his life. Do you have that kind of love for your friends, and do you have that kind of faith in Jesus? If your answer is yes to both of those, then what seems to be the issue And that's not just for you guys. When I say you, I'm talking about me and the adults. It is all inclusive. If you claim to love your friends, and if you claim to have faith in Jesus, then why are we not doing whatever it takes to get your friends to him? We're going to talk about those things in a minute, so you don't have to answer out loud. But now we're in verse 4, and I love verse 4. It says this. It says, and when they could not get near him, because remember, there's a huge crowd, big crowd because of the crowd yeah i didn't have to say that they removed the roof above him and when he they had made an opening they let down the bed where the paralytic was laying like this is huge this is where we get to the title of the message whatever it takes they were they had the love and faith to do whatever it takes to get this dude to Jesus like they were extremely inconvenienced by this like there's not an ambulance there's not a van, there's not an SUV, there's not a side-by-side, not a golf cart. They're going to have to carry this dude. Maybe it's cold, I don't know, probably not. I like to imagine it's hot. Have you ever carried anything heavy for an extended period of time? It's quite painful. Like these dudes, they probably have calluses at this point. They have to walk a long way so they're sweating because they don't have dry fit back then. They're not wearing a pair of Nikes. They got on some Jerusalem cruisers walking around, so you know their feet hurt. And they're probably not all the same height, so some of them have to, like, bend over, and then some of them have having to stand up. That'd be like if me and Benji were carrying somebody, he'd be bending and I'd be standing up higher. And it's just inconvenient. And, they, and then when they finally get close enough, there's such a big crowd, and you know how crowds are, they're not going to let anybody through. So they're like, excuse me, sir, can I get by? i got my paralyzed friend, i got to get him to Jesus. And this dude's like, you're going to have to wait your turn, because i got my friend who's blind, I'll also have to get him to Jesus. So everybody's got these excuses. But then it gets really wild, because I don't know if you know how houses are built back in the day, not like ours now, but it would be like this, let's just, for the sake of argument, say that it's like this big square house. It would have a flat roof on top. It wouldn't have a pitch like ours did. But on the outside of the house, there would be like this stairwell built where that you could get on top of the roof. Because a lot of times during this time, um, what families would do that they would go up on the rooftop near the end of the day when it was cool. Because that was the coolest place in the house. Because the house is kind of just like a brick oven. And on top of the roof, what it was is you have these beams like you'd have in a normal house, and then you'd have like this, we'll say, mud and clay laid over the top of it, which was the hard part where you could walk around on. So I don't know if you've e- raised your hand if you've ever tried to move anything for someone. Ty, Uncle Tyson, has helped me move four times. Um, luckily, we, I don't think we've ever went upstairs. We have one time, but not a lot of stairs. It was a deck. Or, I'm not saying that you need to watch this show at all. But if you have, you can be honest. Raise your hands if you've ever seen the pivot, uh, the pivot episode of Friends. Good. Like two of you. That's it. That's good. That's good. Anyway, it shows you the, 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 uh, the eventfulness of carrying something up a set of stairs. It is quite difficult. Because one, one person, their shins are getting broken. The other one, their back's getting broken because they're trying to carry it and not drop it at the same time. One person always gets the furniture set on top of them. The furniture always gets dropped like two times. And then you get to a curve and you can't make that turn because whatever you're carrying is just too big. And you almost start cussing at each other, but you don't because you're Christian. So you use Christian cuss words and you hold the real ones in your head. It's just <laughs> difficult. But the problem with this is they're already tired sores on their feet from the Jerusalem cruisers because they don't have socks and if they did they would know you should not wear socks with sandals that's just weird please stop doing that it is sinful you need to repent of that because I've seen some of you do it anyway so they're going up these steps but remember the dude's laying on a stretcher like this there's no safety belt so if one person if they get too uneven with this stretcher the dude's just going to slide off and imagine how bad of a friend you would become if you're halfway up the steps, you let your friend just slide off the stretch just bump down the stairs. Now Jesus is going to have to do more than make him walk. He's going to have to raise him from the dead because he ain't making it through that. But that's the issue that we're having. So they're keeping him even. So they're tired, they're frustrated, they're aggravated. But the thing that overarches all of those things is the love that they have for their friend and the faith that they have in Jesus that, they can, that Jesus can heal him. So they finally get up to the roof. And you know they're, they're gasping for air. I would be because I don't do cardio. Gasping for air. Now we got one more issue. we got to lower them down the roof. However, there's not a skylight. Only one, one option left. We are going to have to rip a hole in this. I hope somebody brought an axe and somebody brought a pick and somebody brought a shovel. Oh, nobody brought anything. I guess we're just going to have to start kicking this in. I don't really know how they got through it. Maybe one of them had a Swiss Army knife. Maybe one of them was eating cereal earlier and brought the spoon. I don't know. But I know that they had a lot of determination, and they finally, they just start beating on this roof, and they start tearing it apart, and Jesus is under there preaching, and you know, he's the best preacher in the world, so nothing's going to stop him. He's just letting it go as the roof's falling in. I mean, people were probably like, man, he is preaching so well, the roof is falling in right now. Heaven is just coming down. And then, I mean, you can't just drop your boy off in the hole because that would be just as bad as dropping him off the stairs. Just bloop. That's not how you want to do it. So apparently there's a rope somewhere. Maybe one of them fashioned a rope. Maybe one of them went and found it. And they lower him down the hole and he's finally at the feet of Jesus. They're up there breathing, trying not to throw up because that's what happens when I get out of breath. i got to puke. Just being honest. Working out the other day, almost puked in my garage. Because I usually let the garage door up, but it was down. I couldn't find the clicker, so I was like, "Oh no, it's going to be very mad." But I didn't. I choked it down. Shut up! Interrupting this message. But there's always going to be hey Chess. There's always going to be obstacles in between getting your friends to Jesus, your friend, and getting them to Jesus. Like they had the crowd. They had just. The, the weather, they had the Jerusalem cruisers, they had the stairs, they had the roof, they had to lower them down. They, had, they were tired, they were fatigued, they were frustrated. They had all these things. But we also have obstacles that we are going to have to go through getting people to Jesus. Probably not going to be those things. Now, socks with sandals, it's going to be that. I've seen some of you with that. Some of you should feel guilty and should repent. But I'm not mentioning it again. But I want to talk about two obstacles that usually stand between us and getting our friends to Jesus. And the first one is the fear of feelings. Because we are so afraid of hurting somebody else's feelings and in return getting ours hurt as well. Like we refuse To have hard conversations that need to be had with friends we see living their life in a way that does not honor God or seeing them live their life in a way that is full of sin. Because this is the thing, nobody likes to admit when they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told, hey, you're living in sin. Because usually their comeback is going to be very defensive. Maybe they'll call you a Bible thumper. Maybe they'll call you a holy roller. Maybe they'll call you a hypocrite. Maybe they'll say, I hate you and I never want to be your friend again. All those things are extremely possible. But if you truly have a love for them and a faith in Jesus, you're willing to risk all of that in hopes that they can be made whole, in hopes that you can get them to Jesus. But listen, sometimes you've got to hurt to heal, and sometimes you've got to hurt somebody for them to be healed at the same time. Like if they, like... Let's say this. Let's say you've got something in your teeth. Everybody's been there. A lot of people are checking their teeth right now. I didn't see anybody. But all day long, you went with that stuff in your teeth. And you were hanging out with your friends and they didn't tell you. At the end of the day, aren't you going to be mad at your friend? You should have told me. I had half a steak right there in my teeth. Everybody saw it. Now I'm a loser. Got no friends. Or I wish you would have told me that my breath was bad. I could have got some gum. I had some gum. If you would just told me my breath. Like you would be mad at that friend for not letting you know. Or what about if you got a little booger hanging out? You know what I'm saying? I mean, don't pick it right there in front of everybody. But you would like your friend to tell you so you could just do one of those or something. Like you want your friend to let you know those things. But heaven forbid they tell you that you're sinning. Because we don't want to know who we know, we don't want to know that anybody else we're, we don't want to know that anyone else knows we're doing wrong. We don't want them to point those things out for us, even though it may be in love, so that we can be healed of those things. And you know, we're never told that the dude on the stretcher wants to go. In no gospel accounts are we told he's like, "Come on, boys, get me to Jesus." He could be cussing them the whole time. I don't want to go. This is me. This is how I live my life. Just leave me here. I'm used to it. People give me stuff. I'm just going to die like this. Go away. He could have been cussing them the whole time, but they did not stop because they were moved by their faith in Jesus, not by his. And listen, there's going to be people that you invite to get them here that do not want to come. They're going to say negative things about you. They're going to talk about you behind your back. They may even cuss you after you invite them here. I know of at least one of those accounts at this very place. But if you genuinely love them and have a faith in Jesus, then don't stop. Because there's no, it's not like this place is going to save them. It's not like this place is going to change them. Just like it wasn't Peter's house. But it was the man who was waiting on the dude to be lowered through the roof. It is Jesus alone who does the saving. You invite people to come here, not so that they can have the free food or listen to the cool music or see the cool lights, even though all of those things are good. It is Jesus alone that is going to change them. It is Jesus alone that is going to save them. Jesus alone that is going to redeem them. And it is Jesus alone why they will keep coming back to this place. So don't let the fear of hurt feelings be the thing that prevents you from bringing somebody to Jesus. And the second thing after the fear of feelings is the risk of reputation. Because this is the big one for all of us. It doesn't matter if you are 12 or... Who's the oldest person in here? Tabitha, how old are you? And then sometimes friends are rude. Just being honest. He can't count. That's as high as he goes. But anyway, we are so afraid of what other people think about us. We allow the opinion of other people to dictate all the decisions we make in our life. Think about it. The kind of haircut you get. The kind of clothes that you wear. The music you listen to. The shows you watch on TV. The people that you date. The people that you don't date. The people you talk to. The people that you don't talk to. Even though I think dating is bad, you should never do it. Somebody said amen, and I like that. She said amen. Somebody did. That's what I heard. I'm not getting back on that subject tonight. But all the decisions we make are driven by what we think the opinion of someone else will be. Think about it. You probably put on the clothes you put on this morning because you were trying to impress somebody else that's just that is who we are that's what we're driven by if you're like no nah, I just wore this cuz I like it and you're hoping that someone else is going to like it too but see you may be wondering what is it going to cost me to actually live out this faith it's going to cost you a lot you don't even have to ask I'm going to tell you right now it's going to cost you your reputation people are going to think you're weird you're going to no longer be invited places. You're going to lose a lot of friends. You're going to lose some, I guess we could call it cool points, even though that lost cool points by saying that. Like, it is going, legitimately, it's going to cost you everything. Because when you become someone who loves somebody enough to get them to Jesus, then you are just an inconvenience in their life because you no longer will allow them to do whatever they want to do. You're that person who's constantly trying to get them to Jesus so that they may become who it is God made them to be. I mean, but what, like, legitimately, what's going to be better, being class favorite or being a part of a life change story? Like, what's going to be better, being invited, continuing to be invited to parties or becoming who you were made to be? Like, legitimately, you're going to have to decide what is better. Is it popularity or living with a faith that moves the heart of Jesus? Because that is what happens in this moment. Because it says that Jesus saw their faith and he spoke for this guy to be healed. The things that you or we allow to drive the decisions we make is ridiculous. Because people who do not pay our bills, people who did not bring us into the world, did not name us and have no power over us, dictate all the decisions that we make. Think about how crazy that is. You allow the opinion of someone else to rob your faith of all of its power. Because you're so afraid of their opinion and what they may think about you. How about we just stop trying to be cool and just start trying to be Christians? Because cool never changed the world. And some of you may have just become cool as an accident along the way. But then we got we to hurry, we got to get in verse 5. Got to get through 12 of them. This is what it says in verse 5. And I love this part it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. In Matthew, it says, take heart. Like, this is the beautiful thing. These guys have a faith that works. They have a working faith. Their faith is, faith is actively doing stuff for the kingdom of God. It is my prayer that you guys aren't just people who come and sit in seats and play the game of church, but you actually have a faith that works and is changing the world so much that I don't even need to have a job here anymore because you're doing all the work for the gospel in all these schools. Because, see, the thing is, your faith, when it is genuine, is going to lead to you having convictions, and those convictions are going to change the life of somebody else. You need to hear this. If you genuinely have a faith in Jesus and a love for Him, it should be so evident to the people around you, it is changing their life. Or either they hate you. It's one of the two. So the people around you are they be, are they being changed because of the way you live your life, the faith you have in Jesus, the love that you have for Jesus, the love that you have for them? Because that's the kind of faith that we're called to have. That's what the kind of faith that these guys have—a faith that's willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. Because remember, this dude may have not even wanted to go. He could have been yelling all the way down as he's getting lowered to Jesus. But then something happens. Because when they got him to Jesus, when he got to the feet of the king, he finally saw his brokenness for what it really was. But he also finally found his only hope, and it is Jesus, the man that is standing in front of him. And it is awesome to be popular, it really is. It's fun, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting to have a lot of friends. It's exciting to be that person that everybody wants to hang out with. I get why we are drawn to that, but it does not come close to being a part of somebody else's life change story. It does not come close to becoming who it is God made you to be. It does not come close to actually living out this faith that we proclaim to have. Do not let the opinion of somebody else run your life. Don't fall to that because that is one of the greatest tools that the devil has. He will prevent you becoming who you're made to be because you're a fear of somebody else's opinion. And then verses 6 through 10, real quickly, we've got to get through those. It says, now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Rise and take up your bed and walk. You need to underline, highlight, or do something to verse 10, because we'll be back to verse 10 next week. Jesus says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, and we'll get to that in a second. What's going on in these verses? In verse 7, it says, why does the man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? These are scribes. They know the scripture. They know the Old Testament. These dudes have the stuff like memorized. We barely have like two verses. We can butcher John three sixteen sometimes, but we get close. And they know by their their knowledge of the Old Testament, that only God is the one who can forgive sins. But they also know that it has to be at the temple, there has to be a priest, and there has to be a sacrifice to be made. None of these things are going on right now. They're in some dude named Peter's house. There's a hole in the roof with four morons on the roof that just lowered another moron down here. And now the dude who's preaching named Jesus just said, hey, your sins are forgiven. Hey, when he was healing people, that was one thing. But now he's claiming he can forgive sins. That's something completely different. But see, it does not take a temple. It does not take an animal sacrifice. It does not take a priest. The only thing that needs to be present for the forgiveness of sins is Jesus and somebody's faith. And that's what's happening in that moment. And we'll cover that more next week, but we just had to briefly mention it. But now we can finish. 11 through 12 says this. Jesus says, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And then it says, And the dude rose, and immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this before. Because what started out with just the four dudes' faith turned into five guys' faith. And they were all impacted by it, but one dude had his sins forgiven, and he was able to get up and walk. Because see, the thing is, what you can carry is what you have power over. Like, if you can pick up somebody and carry them around, you have power over them in that moment. Right? Everybody good with that? So what happens is, this dude is known by his disability, He's known by the guy on the stretcher, by the guy on the bed. And Jesus says, hey, pick it up and walk out of here. So he reached down and now what what he was known as, he took hold of that false identity and walked out of the place with it. He has power over it now because his identity is no longer in that bed. It is no longer in that stretcher. But it is in this moment that he had with Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's his identity now. He is a child of God. He is born again. He is a new creation. And what once had power over him no longer does. It's like the little kid's song. He's got the whole world in his hands. The reason God has the whole world in his hands is because he has power over it. Don't allow something that should not have power over you have power over you. When Jesus died on the cross so that you could be set free, so that you could have freedom, so that you could have this new identity. And then we always see that genuine faith leads to life change in worship because that's what happened. This dude's not the same anymore. And it says that all the people were amazed and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I can guarantee you, my life after Jesus, there were people saying, I've never seen anything like this, like genuinely. I kid you not, I was leading worship at an event like two or three years after the dude, he used to live here, had moved off. Um, he was smart, so he went to like Bible school or something. He came back, and they were, they were going to introduce him to the worship leader. And I came in the room. He said, you? And I was like, yes, it is me. God does some awesome things still. Miracles still happen. Um, try not to bring up any stories while we're, we're going out here to do this. But he did tell one. He told the whole room that was there that he was, he was happy to see that I was now a believer because I had stolen his girlfriend many, many years ago. Um, but God does redeeming work. You should not steal girlfriends if you're a Christian. You should not have one, period. That's the last time I'm mentioning that one. But having a, ha, genuine faith always leads to life change in worship. Think about these friends when they saw their buddy get up and walk. All of a sudden, they are invigorated again, running down the steps, tripping each other, not even feeling the blisters on their feet. They grab their friend. They jump around. They hug. They start praising God for the miracle that he provided. That's what this place should look like. We don't sing because we like the songs. We sing because we have seen God change lives, and we are praising him for what he has done and what he's continuing to do. But we're wrapping this bad girl up so you can get to your groups. What kind of friend are you going to be? Like what kind of friend are you going to be? Are you going to be somebody who enables somebody in their sin? Or are you going to be somebody who does whatever it takes to get people to Jesus? Knowing that it's going to cost you everything. Knowing that yes, it is going to ruin your reputation. You're probably not going to be Miss NEJ or whatever high school you go to. Probably not going to be the prom king if we do that still. Because this faith is going to cost you something. But what you're going to be able to be a part of far outweighs any of that. My favorite part about this job is not playing the music. It's not that I get to wear whatever clothes I want to. My favorite part of it is watching you guys and the adults at Journey Church experience Jesus. He changes their life forever. He saves them, and they start becoming who it is God made them to be. That is the greatest part of this life. And I'm telling you, if you will ever fix your eyes on that instead of the things the world says is important, your life will be forever changed, forever different. And you'll see the importance. You'll have a hunger of getting people to Jesus. But the people, I mean, you're surrounded by thousands of people a day who are paralyzed by different kinds of things could be fear. It could be their circumstance. It could be the opinion of other people. It could be a relationship they're in, some kind of sin, something in their past, some kind of addiction, or a thousand other things. What are you doing to get them to Jesus? Because it's going to take a couple of you guys getting these people who are screaming, saying they don't need Jesus, they don't need church. There's nothing wrong with them. You're going to have to get them on a, uh, not an actual stretcher, because that would probably get you in jail. But let's just say that, and you're going to have to get them to Jesus one way or another, knowing that you're going to go through obstacles. And maybe some of you are that paralyzed somebody that somebody put you on a stretcher and got you here. This place isn't going to fix you, but Jesus can. Not only, is he, not only can he, but he's willing to, if you remember from a couple weeks back. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus? And The thing I want to close with is the power of an invitation. We don't invite people just because we want to fill up this room or the next room. We invite people here to be a part of a life change story. We invite people here, not just so that they will eat the food or that they will sing along with the music, but so they may experience Jesus and he can reach down into their sinful life and say, take heart, I forgive you of all of your sins. And that they may be able to get up and walk away from the life that they once had and become who it is God made and saved them to be. That's why we invite people. That is the power of an invitation. I know that there are many of you sitting in this room now that I've made eye contact with throughout the night. Your life was changed because of an invitation whether it was to come here on a Wednesday night or to show up on a Sunday or to come to E3 or to come to a camp, and none of those things are what saved you, but somebody invited you to those things knowing that if they could get you there and you could hear the story of Jesus and what he did on the cross and how he became sin so that you could become his righteousness and how he shed his blood so the sacrifice could be, could be paid so that you could have new life, so that you could be saved. Never discount the power of an invitation knowing that if you get somebody to Jesus, everything could change. Do whatever it takes. Even if you've got to hurt your feet, even if you've got to make a stretcher, even if you've got to walk a long ways, even if you've got to navigate a staircase, you've got to tear up a roof, find a rope and lower somebody down, whatever it takes. There's the story of this dude named uh, Wilmer and Ernie. That's their real names, not mine back in the day Ernie was a dude who did not think he needed Jesus and he lived the life like somebody who doesn't think they need Jesus but he had this friend named Wilmer and Wilmer invited him over and over again to come to church not because he thought the church could save him but Jesus could he had to get him there so that he could hear the story of Jesus and this goes over years and years and years and years and years. And finally, Ernie shows up one day. And Wilmer is busy at the time. So Wilmer's wife is waiting because he knows that Ernie's supposed to come that day. And he walks up and she says, you must be Ernie. He says, yes, ma'am, I, I am. I'm Wilmer's friend. He's been inviting me. She said, I know. Because every night he comes home from work, I have a meal prepared. But before he will come eat, he goes into our bedroom and he gets on his knees and he prays for his friend Ernie to come to know Jesus. So much time goes by. But he did not quit. He was willing to do whatever it takes. And when Ernie came to church that day, he got saved. His life was forever changed. And he became a pastor who preached the message of Jesus to countless people and was a part of life change as well. Do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. You have a great opportunity Sunday. You got a great opportunity next week. And every day after that and every, every week after that, don't miss doing whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to go into breakout groups. Sixth graders, just follow the seventh graders. If you see anybody lost, that's probably a sixth grader. Grab them and take them to your table. God, thank you for how you love us. God, let us not miss out on the power of invitation. God, let us be a group of people who will do whatever it takes to get people to you. God, we know that you can save. We're just asking that you will. God, thank you for the cross of Jesus, the power and the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross. God, that there is no sin too great that you can't heal and that you can't forgive. God break the chains of the opinion of other people. Let that no longer be what robs our faith of its power. God give this group of young people a faith that works. That does the work of the kingdom that shares the gospel that does whatever it takes to get their hurting friends to you. Jesus because you alone save you alone forgive, you alone redeem, because you alone could pay the highest price. And you alone walked out of the grave with victory in hand. God continued. To-